Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please do so. It is free, and we would love to have you as part of our community. You can subscribe through your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or you can do it through our website at www.culinaryschoolstories.com, which is also where we store all of the podcast past episodes and guest bios. So be sure to check out the website and sign up for our monthly newsletter. So our guest today is a highly educated chef with three degrees from Johnson & Wales University. And he not only has the perspective of being a culinary school graduate himself, but also the teaching experience of working with future culinary school graduates through his current role as a chef educator at the Newport Area Career and Technical Center's Culinary Arts Academy. With that said, I would now like to welcome Chef Carol Webb to the show. Carol, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Well, let's get right into it. And I see you're originally from Washington, D.C. Is that where you got your culinary career started? Yes, it it started, you know, with back in the early 90s and, you know, trying to find my footing somewhere and, you know, have an idea of what my gifts and goals are going to be. So, you know, I had an opportunity to meet a chef in D.C. who was executive chef at a country club. And, you know, I met him through a friend of mine and we just started talking and he started talking about his job. So it sounded really interesting. You know, most of my um, love for food came from my mother and watching her. So once I spoke to him and, you know, did a lot of prayer and thinking, I decided to dive right in. I initially started in Baltimore. I started at a culinary school. It was called the Baltimore International Culinary School. I, I know it's not around anymore. Yeah. And so I started there just in a certificate program. And while I was there, I happened to meet a chef from a restaurant in Baltimore called Joy America Cafe. And I wanted to get a job to get my feet wet. He was willing to hire and train me. So that's how it started for me. Oh, good. So did you have experience while in high school? Is that where you're like, I really want to go to college at Baltimore to start to pursue this? Or was it an afterthought? It was definitely an afterthought. Um, You know, in my early career, I was served in the Navy um, and just try to find footing. I think, you know, once uh, many veterans get out of the military, it's really trying to find what's next. And I know I fell in that category. So I was just trying to find what's next for me. And, you know, I just kind of dived right in. I had an awesome experience at Joe America Cafe even though at the time at the Baltimore International College, I had to drop out because I didn't have enough money to stay. So, but I was able to keep my job there. And for the years that I was there, I I had an amazing time. So I 
was able to learn so much and continue to move forward in understanding food and the mechanics of it. Yeah, and I know that program at Baltimore International there. I've been to some conferences there, and I know in its day it was it was, a, it was a very good program. But So you dropped out because of the finance and worked in the industry. And then when you decided to go back, was was Baltimore not an option at that point? You chose Johnson & Wales, or why did you make that switch to go to Providence? I think it was when I went to like a food service um, culinary conference in Baltimore and I ran into a Johnson & Wales recruiter. Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, I heard little snippets of Johnson & Wales, but I never knew the depth and influence that Johnson & Wales has. So we had a really deep conversation. She said, you should apply. And I, you know, I, I was like, you know, do I really want to leave, you know, the DC, Baltimore area? Mm-hmm. But I've always been kind of a risk taker and kind of diving right in. So I decided to just put in my application. I got accepted and the fall of 1996, I just packed everything up and left. <laughs> so you hadn't visited the campus first. You just no. enrolled, got accepted and then said, okay, I'm all in, I'm, I'm going up there. Yeah, yeah, uh, just kind of been my personality. Um, you know, if I feel like it's a, a good opportunity and I feel like I'm being led to go do it, especially through prayer, I'll dive right in. And um, this kind of been my journey even up to this point. Great. So what was it like when you got there? What was your first impression? I mean, it's changed now. The campus has changed. They have all new buildings. But, you know, you're driving in for that first time, hadn't visited it previous. What was going through your minds? What was your thoughts? Well, I remember telling the, the chef at the restaurant I was working at where I was going. And he said, you know, I'm getting a culinary education is a good thing. So I support that. He asked me what campus I told him Providence. And he kind of looked up in the air a little bit, kind of funny, because he, he thought at the time Providence really wasn't um, the, the cleanest place, <laughs> I guess, in, in, his, in his opinion. Again, that's his opinion. So, you know, I get there, you know, at the time, Buddy Cianci, you know, was, was around. So, you know, it, it's definitely grown. But my first impression was I thought it was a very nice place. I thought it was very welcoming. You know, I immediately noticed a lot of diversity within the student body, which I really enjoyed. So my first impressions was just to get my feet wet and find how I could stay in school and get a job to support staying in school at the same time. Mm. So did they help you with that? Was there like a career office that could help you or did you have to find a job on your own? I had to find a job on my own. Mm. And where was that? What, how did that work out? Um, it worked out okay. You know, I, I wish that I had looked for the job first and then went to um, Johnson & Wales. So I was really trying to play catch up, but I was able to gain employment at Johnson & Wales. I ended up working uh, as a line cook at Cafe Nuovo. So I worked there and I went to school at the same time. So the goal was really to continue to funnel in money to support my educational pursuits. Awesome, yeah. Sometimes you have to do that to make those ends you know, meet. So let's talk about class. Now you're an older student at this point, you already have your you know, career in the Navy behind you and you've been, already been to culinary school once for a little bit there in Baltimore. 
How was the dynamics in the classroom when you first got there? I mean, it must have been a lot of students right out of high school and, you know, maybe just first time away from home. How, how did that all go? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an experience that mentally I think I was somewhat prepared for, you know, being in the Navy prepared me for all different types of people and backgrounds. So even though I was an older student, I was able to help some of the students that were new who had no culinary experience because I had a lot of restaurant. Well, I had that one restaurant experience. So I was familiar with many of the introductory and intro classes to culinary arts and really tried to help some of the younger students who were unfamiliar with some of the theories at that time. And how was the culture there? I mean, when you first get there and you're kind of indoctrinated into the culinary world and the uniforms, and the lineups and the inspections, I mean, it's similar to probably what you saw in the Navy a little bit, but how was that culture? And, and, and did other students have a struggle with that or did they quickly, yeah. you know, get indoctrinated and get right on into the program? I think from what I saw, some students really had a hard time with that kind of um, militaristic kind of style. Like, for instance, one of the chefs who was the, the epitome of clean shaven and uniform ironed was Chef Fuchs, meat cutting. So for me, I was OK with it. I was always accustomed to making sure I was well-groomed and my uniform was always clean. But some students really had a hard time because, as you know, in culinary school, you, you know, you get hits if you're not on time for class, if you're not prepared, you know, with your uniform or even um, the grooming aspect. So I did see some students have a really hard time because, again, the chefs, probably even now today, students can still get docked some points if they're not prepared that way. Yeah, maybe you could go a little deeper and talk about that because some of the listeners out there don't realize, you know, what culinary school, Johnson & Wales in particular, but there's a lot of other ones, I'm sure, CIA and other ones, what they have to go through and how they, you know, do those lineups and what they expect and the clean shaving and the fingernails and the pressed uniforms and what that entails mm -hmm. and how you have to prepare yourself for that, especially for those early labs. Yes. Luckily for me, when I went in, as you mentioned, the military background, I always had a sense of doing those kind of things. I think mentorship is very important, even for the students that I teach now. And I really try to prepare them who got accepted to Johnson Wells or other culinary schools like CIA, that you have to change your mindset and listen very carefully for what you are getting yourself into. It's easy to get in, but establishing the rules can be very hard. So I think for many students, I think what's really important is to just do your research and what's expected of you. You know, like when you, you see a job on the internet or wherever, and you think it's a job that you want to apply for, they have a list of requirements that adhere to the job that you're applying for. And I think the same should be true for going to culinary school. I think that, yes, you might see the successful chefs on TV, but you don't know the trials and tribulations that they've had to go through to get to that point. So even from the students I teach today, I really try to inform them you have to do your research. You have to really make sure that this is a culture that you really want to get into. 
it starts at culinary school and it's very demanding and the chefs are very demanding. So you can't just go in blindly. If you do, now you're just trying to trying to play catch up. And, you know, like we're at home and, you know, you teenagers, you know, they kind of kind of come, come and go as they please. But when you come into a place that has strict demands, it, it can be very stressful for many students. And I've seen it firsthand. Yeah, it's, you know, it's modeled after the military, as you know, you know, the brigade system, and it's very hierarchical. And, yes. and you, you know, there's a lot of rules, yeah. and, and many of it for you know, good reasons, safety reasons, sanitation reasons. And because it's that brigade system, you have a, you know, an objective to get that meal out and everybody has to contribute and equally. But you mentioned that, you know, the chefs are, they have standards and they're kind of strict. Did you have a favorite class? Did you have, did you have trouble in any classes? Were any of them challenging to you? And, and if so, how did you, you know, persevere? Uh, I think for me, I didn't really find many of the foundations of culinary arts classes very challenging. I think for me, what was more challenging from my history and background was just more of the academic classes. When I was in high school and going out of high school, we didn't have computers. You know, the only thing I had even coming out of the Navy was a high school diploma. So once I got accepted to Johnson and Wales, the cooking classes were fine. I didn't have any issues with those, but I had never used a computer. I had never written a paper before. I mean, I, I knew how to do it and place my thoughts on a piece of paper. But I was very blind to and unprepared for the academic por portion of those classes. And I felt like as some students are starting from square one regarding culinary foundations, I was starting from ground one, zero to one with the academics. And, and it was very challenging for me because, like I said, I'd never used a computer before. I'd never written a, a term paper before. So I had to really, you know, struggle um, for a couple of years to get that foundations under my belt. That is so true and very interesting. And I think maybe there's people out there that don't realize that because it's not really a cooking school. A lot of these are universities, you know, they're colleges. So they have those requirements like you would for any other major or degree. And sometimes I think people think of it as like, you know, maybe a step down, like, well, it's going to be easier. And, and in many ways it could be because it's practical. And if you have that hands-on experience, like, oh yeah, but it's not a cooking school. You know, many of these are universities where you come out with an associate's or a bachelor's or higher degrees. So there is educational requirements by the Department of Ed that have those rigors in there. And as you mentioned, I know my students, they struggle because the paper, maybe the thoughts is the easy part, but then there's the structure, you know, the MLA formatting, the APA format, you know, doing proper research. And maybe they haven't been taught that in, you know, high school or wherever. And then they come into that school and it is a, you know, kind of a shock value there. You know, to, whoa, what, I didn't understand this. Mm -hmm. Luckily, most schools now have resources for that. They have the tutoring. They have those academic areas where they can get somebody, you know, up to speed through those remedial type classes. But I, I agree with you. It is, it is a shock for many when they, when they come in. Especially for older students, again, you know, times have changed from when I was like I graduated from high school in 85 and, you know, the schools I went to were more urban structured kind of schools. So 
you know, for the dynamics in my school, you know, the closest I came to a computer was a typewriter. Uh, so, and, and then once I went into the Navy, you know, it wasn't really a requirement to have that type of skill set for the job that I had. So coming out and then trying to find my way, you know, learning how to cook in the kitchen, in the restaurant, you know, of course you need to know how to read and do some minimal math in regards to turning recipes from a small to a large, but going to college, as you mentioned, it's, it's a different dynamic. And I think sometimes from the students that I have come across, they kind of are somewhat unprepared even now because there are so many resources that they can look at to better prepare themselves for culinary school. Yeah. And, and we had it a little bit harder because, <laughs> you know, libraries, you didn't have Google. You had to go find a book. You had to take the books out. And I remember doing all my reports on a typewriter, you know, and you have the, the little tape you put in there when you make a mistake and you have to backspace. <laughs> and now it's all Word and, yeah. you know, you can just, it's so much easier. But, you know, I guess every generation says that, you know, we walked uphill both ways in the snow and barefooted. <laughs> so, but I know it was hard. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. You know, now they can look up the mother sauces on their phone and, you know, get right to it. Yeah. So now let's let's jump ahead. You're a teacher and then we'll kind of go back to the middle part, but you cur- currently teach culinary arts. How has it changed? You know, compare and contrast what's going on today. What are they learning? What is the student body like, you know, that's coming in compared to what, you know, you saw when you went to school and, and myself, you know, back in the, the 80s? Well, uh, yes, I, I do teach culinary, uh, culinary arts and I also teach hospitality and tourism management as well. I believe what I see now in some respects can be somewhat of the same that I saw when I was in culinary school. One of the things I always try to tell the students is that culinary arts and baking and pastry or the industry within itself or hospitality management is an industry that you can take so many avenues. And even when I was in culinary school and teaching kids who are in culinary school now, they have the resources to go on a computer and look at so many different culinary and food service jobs, but some of them still get stuck on, I want to be a chef. And that's fine. Mm. But one of the things that I believe that not everybody can be a chef. And I do think that you have to find your own path. And from what I've seen, some of them may look at maybe the Bobby Flays or you know, other well-known chefs that they see on TV and they don't do the back end story. They just see the noun instead of the work. And so unfortunately, some of the students get very frustrated and they don't understand that it's okay to be frustrated and you can still play an integral part in the industry. You just have to find your own path. You can never be Bobby Flay. Bobby Flay is his own person. You have to find your own mission in life, per se, or your own gifts, even a better answer, because everybody's gifts are different. I can't be you. You can't be me. And I think that's where some of the students get kind of confused, is that they see these influencers, and they want to be just like them. Mm -hmm. And from my perspective, I just think that that's impossible. And I think what happens, many students get frustrated because 
why can't I do that? He did this, he cooked this so well, and she decorated this cake so beautifully. And, and that's fine, but that's their gift. You have to find yours. And secondly, if you do want to do it and you do have the gift, go better. You know, you can, you know, start something new and a new invention, a new way of changing a recipe or the way that cake looks. So I think for me, the one thing that I do see, and I saw even in culinary school, is that the students unfortunately don't do their research research to figure out where their gifts are and how they can apply those gifts into culinary arts, baking and pastry and hospitality and tourism. Yeah, that's so true because they see the finished product and they don't know what went into making that, what they are. And those, like you said, one, you can never be them because it's a different personality, different life experiences. Two, they were at successful in a point in time and time is constantly changing. So what worked back then may not work now and you have to be in the now and and invent yourself to what the time is and Mm -hmm. careers. And there is so many opportunities out there that even I didn't know when I went to culinary school. You think of the you know, traditional chef, traditional restaurant. There's so many openings and, and opportunities. And I, I know they're doing a little better job with that with career development type, uh, you know, offices that are kind of sharing. And, and food is, is so, as you know, what hospitality and tourism, you know, it's just a huge, huge expanse out there that you can go into from photography to writing to, yeah. you know, podcasting. Now that was never around, you know, we're doing something with a culinary now. With yeah, podcasting. absolutely. I mean, that, that would never have zoom. <laughs> we're all so familiar with. So these are could be careers down the road and, and in 10 years from now, there's going to be new things that we can't even imagine today. So I think you're right on point there that students really have to go in there with open eyes and say, yeah, maybe this is it, but change. You know, you could go into nutrition, you go into baking, you go into food and beverage management. There's so many opportunities that, and 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 at their fingertips with the computers Mm -hmm. and Google that they can do that research now. Yes. So did you want to be a chef when you were in culinary school? Did you think that was the end result that you were going to go open your own restaurant? (laughs) When I first started, uh, again, I always use the restaurant in Baltimore is my standard. I loved working there. The chefs were amazing. They were great teachers. And the more I was taught, the more I did want to be a chef. I wanted to work in a kitchen and even the possibility of you know, opening my own restaurant. So in those beginning stages in my career, absolutely, I wanted to embark on running a kitchen and possibly even owning my own restaurant. So you probably thought associate's degree, like I did, was going to be enough. And I went on and got multiple degrees as you did. What happened? Where did that change with you say, okay, now I got to get the bachelor's, now I got to get the master's and continuing that you know lifelong learning? Well, you know, I, uh, I had a uh, a friend of mine, a lifelong friend back in DC. And, you know, even before I went to college, he always was very encouraging about getting a college degree in something. And I think that it's it's been very important and it's helped me along the way. I agree when I first started, my goal was just to get my associate's degree and leave. But I will admit that once I got the associates, I enjoyed Johnson and Wales. And so I wanted to stay another year and and really from the influence of my friend back in DC, I decided to start um, and get the bachelor's degree. And so as I went, moved forward, my 
academics almost became easier because while I was in culinary school, I actually happened to get a job at Johnson and Wales as a dorm director. So with that in place, I ended up quitting Cafe Nuovo because as you know, trying to work a kitchen job and coming in at 12, one o'clock at night, and then trying to get the class the next morning and doing that for a couple of years and going to school full time is extremely difficult. And many students do it. So I just, I just got tired. And once that opportunity came, I was able to get the financial resources to be able to stay even longer. So that, that, that's how I ended up getting my bachelor's degree. And then what dis- what inspired the masters? That was a little bit later in time when you when you got into teaching, or was that right away? So I ended up once I got my bachelor's degree, I had no intentions on getting my master's. I ended ended up moving to New York City and working at uh, a boutique shop. They sold like you know high end desserts and caviar, foie gras, things like that in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so while I was there, I got hired as the assistant general manager for the store. Once I got in there, you know, I started to learn the job itself. So I, after a week of working there, I ended up meeting the owners of the boutique. And the next day, the general manager who hired me, he actually he fired me. <laughs> what? Yeah, he fired me. And my own personal perspective on that was was that he did not want a black man running his ship. So he did not know that he had never met me. So that was his first time meeting me. I only met the general manager who hired me. So after about a week and a half, and I had relocated my whole life to New York, he fired me. So I was, of course, distraught, you know, it was the summertime was coming to an end and I ended up reapplying back to Johnson and Wales. I was able to get my old job back as a dorm director and I got accepted into the master's um, degree program at Johnson and Wales. So that's how, to be perfectly honest, how I ended up going back to Johnson and Wales because I I had nowhere else to go. Like I had no job, you know, I had never lived in New York city. I really didn't know how to maneuver the systems in New York city. So I went back to a safe place for me and, you know, thank God I was able to come back. Wow. So he hired you without even knowing you or seeing you, I'm guessing. And then after a week, he, he, you think it was because that you were black that then or maybe you were a threat to him as the new general manager with the owners or how did that play out well the the gentleman who hired me he he did see me because before i received my degree i went to do, to new york to interview at this place okay so the general manager knew who i was so i believe well, i don't believe i know he had the authority to hire whom he wanted so once i came there and then i ended up meeting the owner himself of the boutique, then that's when things changed. And it changed immediately. It was like instantaneously, like the next day, once I closed up the store that night, the next morning I went there, the general manager pulled me in and he said, you know, I'm letting you go. I'm not giving you any reason. And so I just said, well, can you at least give me two weeks? 
He said, no. He said, you should be lucky that I'm giving you a week, but you have to be out. So you, you relocated. You moved everything. You're right moved This everything. is your, the start of your career. Yeah. You get hired. You meet the owners. Everything's great. And then this guy just pulls the whole rug right out for, for no reason, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it's only my speculation, but I don't believe my speculation is wrong because if we hire somebody in a job, there's no way to determine if it's a good fit unless you give it time. Right. A week is not a determinant of whether a person is going to do a good job or not. So it, to me, it was just too coincidental. He met me and then how derogatory they became of me just asking for two weeks and only granting me a week. I just, in, in my interpretation and the, the mannerisms that the owner gave me, I was just very clear. Wow. Crazy. Have, have you experienced, you know, things like this before in your career? Discrimination, either working in the industry or at school? Have you, have you seen this? Yes, unfortunately, I, I have. I think in the industry itself, that was my first up in my face kind of experience. But as I've gone through, no, it, it hasn't been um, the first nor the last, unfortunately, whether it was in a corporate organization like Sodexo, where I worked for a few years, or even where it was in a, a place of higher education or secondary education. So I have to say that has been the more unfortunate part about my journey in the food service industry. So you think school was okay, though, because you did mention that it was pretty diverse when you got to the Providence campus, but do you still find areas there for improvement or as they people go out into the industry? How do you think it affects, you know, the new students that are coming in, whether they're, you know, persons of color, whether they're female, whatever that may be? Um, I, I do think that there still needs to be a lot of changes. I do know in the the, the culture in which we live today, there has been a lot of talk about identifying women and people of color in positions, uh, those top tier positions and regarding companies. In regards to school, I still think many culinary institutions, whether higher education or elementary, secondary, they have to really do some catching up and regarding hiring more people of color as chefs or even chefs that can be deans or vice presidents in their culinary programs or even the corporate organizations as well. Yes, you can easily find a lot of diversity in the kitchen sometimes, but as you move up into the, the sous chefs or chef de cuisine, executive chef, general manager, vice president, it's very, at least from my experiences, I have not went, witnessed many chefs of color in those top tier positions. And I think, in my opinion, I think students of color need to see people that look like them because it helps them understand that I can do this. I can be this. And, and not just really in culinary arts, but in, in, in sports or, you know, in entertainment or any type of business where people of color have played instrumental roles in, you know, making these businesses succeed. But unfortunately, um, we are just not put 
in those positions where we can be more influential to the people that we serve. Okay, I'm going to take a quick pause right now and ask you, the listener of this episode, to sign up for our newsletter and mailing list. I left a link in the description, or maybe even easier, just to go to www.chefroach.com slash contact. That's chefroach, all one word, dot com slash contact. Then just go to the bottom of the page and sign up for our newsletter. It's free. Then once you're signed up, you'll never miss out on our latest news, announcements, episodes, contests, course information, or exclusive deals. So go ahead, sign up so you can get all the information and more through the periodic email updates. And don't worry, you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it. The link again is www.chefroach.com contact. So go ahead, do it now. We want you to be part of our community. And if you don't do it now, you'll probably just forget by the time this episode is over. So just hit the pause button right now and take the 15 to 20 seconds to get it done and then come back and hit play. We'll wait for you, I promise. Okay, hopefully you just did it or you've already done it in the past or at the very least, you'll be doing it very soon. Your support of the show and the network is very important to us, and we thank you in advance. All righty, so now back to the show. Did you see a lot of diversity in the instructors that you had going through your education? There are three degrees. Was there was there role models for you? Uh, no, I, I, I did. I enjoyed the chefs that I, you know, that taught me, and I can't remember any of them that treated me unfairly. I had, you know, very good relationships with them, but the, the diversity was probably slim to none. I, in my time at Johnson and Wales, I don't remember any chefs of color, not at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even as I teach now, you know, I remember when I first, you know, started um, at the Newport Career and Technical Center. And, you know, I had a couple of students of color and, you could almost see their eyes light up, not not just for the mere fact that, you know, I knew how to cook and I was a chef, but it almost motivated them to reach out and want to be mentored and find out how I got to where I got. Because for me, the experiences that men and women of color go through in their journey in the food service industry can be very different from where you know, white men and women, actually white men in their journey. I do believe that also that women, whether white or black, are underrepresented as, as well. Why do you think that is? It because they, they, when they don't have those role models, they think that their journey is going to be limited because they don't see anybody already in those top positions. So it's just kind of demoralizing or they don't, they don't want to strive for that as much. What do you think the breakdown is and how is it changing? I think the breakdown, and I'll just speak on some of the, the women that I've spoken to, many of the men don't want to answer to women. They don't want them to have that authoritative role. I've met many women that have said the men just don't respect them. And as I have gone through the industry myself, 
those kitchens can be quite, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's a certain type of structure in the back of the house that many people don't see. And I do believe things are changing. But when I was coming up, there were many types of stereotypes on women and people of color that was really racist. But you didn't have anyone that you could turn to, to try to, at least in my experience, try to say, hey, this is going on. Can you kind of intervene in this? Because the thought process from the middle management was the same as the higher management as well. So I do think things are changing. I think it's still lagging, I believe. But I do think that from what I've read, some companies are starting to put more emphasis in diversifying their staff. And I really do hope it happens because it's much needed because, you know, mm-hmm. everybody deserves a fair chance as, at that, at, at those positions of education or corporate um, organizational positions as well. Mm-hmm. And diversity makes you a better company. It makes you a stronger company, right? You get obviously different perspectives in there. You get different voices and people at the table. I mean, it would make you more dynamic. I mean, I, I know from my experience at Johnson & Wales in Miami, you know, our campus, people from all over the world, it's a real melting pot in there. And it just adds so much dynamics to the classroom. I mean, people bring it in their cultures and their f- food ideas and their menus and recipes. I mean, it just it makes it more interesting yes. <laughs> for that. Yeah. So I think it's just a, a good thing. And I think people reaching out and, and, and mentoring, as you mentioned, I think that's going to be important. Mentorship and, you know, helping those, give them a, you know, anybody that needs that boost up. Yeah. I had um, Kimberly Brock Brown on as a guest. I thought, oh, you may have heard her episode. And she brought up a, a thing about f- females that she read a report somewhere that, you know, maybe maybe has to do with them ambition or assertiveness because she was saying that, you know, if you need 10 things for a qualification and a woman meets nine, she may not go for the job based on this research. Whereas a man may only have six, but they're like, I'm going for it anyway. They'll just go for it. (laughs) You know, they don't care. So she said, maybe, you know, the research is showing some of that. It may be just, you know, like with the STEM programs, it's just being more assertive. Like, yeah, you can do it and just, you know, give them the people the encouragement to go for those jobs and have people in those positions, you know, give them a boost up. Yes. You know, I think the playing field is unfair and kind of to lean on um, the chef you spoke to. I've always been taught that if you have this much ex- experience, you, you always have to increase it. Because you're always going to be playing at an unequal playing field. I've had jobs where, you know, I was qualified, but unfortunately, in, in, in respect to getting an upper management position, but unfortunately, the people who had less, the white men who had less, were always promoted above the, the men and women of color. So, mm. I mean, and, and I've always that's been instilled in me even as a child that as a black man going and going into any job you always have to come with more because you're going to be scrutinized a little bit more than your white counterpart unfortunately and you know in regards to education i i you know i was reading a statistic from the department of education us department of education and you know was saying how Many teachers of color just leave. They just leave the, the the industry altogether because 
there, there, are no, there are no tools in place to assist. You know, you, you get the job and they say here, but they don't give you the tools that you need in order to be successful in the job. And unfortunately, in my experience, and not having a pity party at all, I'm very thankful and blessed for the career that I've had. But I've, I've never had a mentor. I've never had anyone that guided me to the the nooks and crannies of what to do and what not to do in the food service industry. So I had a lot of hiccups and I, I just had to figure it out on my own. What do you advise your current students? You know, if they are maybe a female, a person of color, anybody that matter, and they came to you and they wanted to know for advice or they're going out for a job or they're thinking about going to a culinary school. Do you advise or give them guidance in this area? I do. I have implemented in my curriculum doing research projects regarding the industries in which they want to go into. And with those in with those research projects, try to identify the good and the bad. And secondly, how they do they believe from their research, do they think that they're a good fit? Do they meet the skills that are required for that job? And so once it's kind of been identified, you know, we have individual conversations about their research project, trying to somehow um, get people to give them advice who are already in the industry that can give them a perspective of what they have gone through and how to maneuver the industry. Because there, there can be a lot of pitfalls, but there can be a lot of successes as well. And I think for the majority of us, the the failures can really make us stronger and we can just move forward from that. I just want the students to be able to understand that just because you didn't get this, that doesn't mean that you still can excel in your career of choice. And I often use uh, this quote a lot because it, it always sticks in my head. It's from an author called Bell Hooks and she wrote one quote that said, that education is a vocation rooted in hopefulness. And the goal really is to give our kids hope and to instill in them, not just the hope, but the love that we can give from teacher to student that we care about you. We want you to succeed and we'll do, we will go over and beyond to make sure that we can give you the tools of success. Now, of course, the students got to give you back a little bit too, but I think that in our industry, and I use the word love because if you don't love being a chef, then I don't know how successful you'll be because it's a very inventive kind of position. You always have to think of different menus. You have to transform your your um, your um, the type of foods that you um, equate or serve to your customers. So you got to love it. So if you don't love it, or we don't show the students that we really care and love you in regards to helping you succeed, then I think that we're not really doing our due diligence as educators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking about the chef instructors you have in, in your career, the people that you worked with, the, the chef instructors you work with now, yourself looking at you know how you teach, how do you define an effective instructor? How do you define like a good teacher? Uh, I think a good instructor imposes a type of 
leadership quality to make sure that he or she is doing everything to give these students the tools that they need. I think that case in point, you know, right now, I have some students that I teach remotely, some students that are physically in class. And so some of the students that I teach are Spanish speaking students, and some of them are remote. So as we know, many students sometimes fall behind in their studies, more so being remote than being physically in class. So for me, what I've had to do to make sure the students, especially the Spanish speaking students, get the same type of information that the other students who are present, thank God for Google Classroom, I will interpret all of their assignments in Spanish and I will post it so they can get a leg up to make sure that they get the same type of resources that the students and class get. So what I'm saying is, is that it's not about me, it's about helping them succeed. And so I think for me, that is the core foundations of a teacher is that if you're not doing everything possible to lead your kids and get them the resources that they need to be successful, then you're not doing your job. Another thing that we do um, in Newport, some of the kids who are remote, we will do cooking demonstrations. But what we will do is we will pack up goodie bags. We will deliver those bags to their houses. And then we will have a, um, a Google Meet where you can see the chef. And you can follow along right in your kitchen. Like a cook-along. They're doing it with you remotely. Yeah, cook-along. Yes. So, and as we know, you know, you can only lecture to culinary kids, but so much. They want to have the hands-on because that's where that, that's why they came in. So again, another tool to try to be more inventive. So you can bring those students who are not there right into the classroom to help them learn those culinary skills. Yeah, this remote learning is definitely a change and you know, juries out whether it's effective or not. Right. <laughs> Probably find out some research 10 years from now, um, the damage or not that it <laughs> did. But thinking about culinary school and hopefully we'll get back to being, you know, normal as it was. Uh, do you find it to be a value? Do you think it's a good return on your investment? I mean, what do you advise when your students ask you, should they go to a culinary school? Should they go to a private? Should they go to a public? Can you talk about that a little? Yes, that's that has always been a very deep conversations with some of the students that I've spoken to. I think that any type of education is good. What I have to balance how I feel about culinary school is the associate's degree. I think that there are many restaurants like me before I came to culinary school. If I wanted to, I could have stayed at the, the, the restaurant that I worked with in Baltimore and moved up with no culinary experience. And I'm sure that your experiences, there are many chefs around the world who have no education, but thrive in their business. Mm-hmm. I guess for me, it goes back to the students of color and having a leg up, even though I do think that every student can be successful if their goal is just to be a chef in the kitchen and doing an internship or an apprenticeship in the kitchen, I think you can be very successful. But unfortunately, in 
the dominance of the white men who still hire based on sometimes education or what you bring to the table, I think that I still would encourage them to get that degree only because it gives them a leg up and they need a leg up every time they go into a kitchen. And so, but my hope is that they'll move further in their education, not just with the associate's degree, but with the bachelor's degree. But I I just think education is power and it gives you power and no one can ever take that power away from you once you get it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very blessed and thankful that I moved on into my um, academics from associates to master's degree. Yeah. Education, I think, is the key. You know, and I think it's expensive. (laughs) <laughs> as you know, yeah. I mean, uh, oh yeah, it's and, expensive. I mean, especially culinary because it's just, you know small. You can't put four hundred in a lecture hall, and you got those products that you have to buy, and you know, so it's you know scale there has a problem. But um, you know, if, if if they can find a way, whether that's through scholarships or grants, or you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of education as well. Yeah. You know, go get something, lifelong learning. Absolutely. I think I think it's power in it. I think you know a college education also helps you interact with people. It gives you a different perspective on other people, and it gives it gives you. Um, I think college can prepare you for life. You know, you got to work hard. Sometimes you have to get a job. You know, sometimes you have to work late hours. So I do think not just the academic portions, but it can prepare you for life even as you move out of college into your chosen profession. Yeah, and education you should change you, hopefully for the better. Yeah. But you should come out on the other end different than when you went in. Yes. And hopefully that gives you a perspective and skills and you know, learning and knowledge that you didn't have that then you can, you know, use to better yourself or society. Absolutely. I agree with that. So what about those that can't go to culinary school for whatever reason? Maybe they're already in their career. They're already established. They're maybe a little bit older. It's beyond them or they just don't have the means. What about for them? I mean, is there a professional development? What is your thoughts on certification, lifelong learning? What's the responsibility of the employer to the employees? Is there one? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I I do think that for men and women who have somewhat dedicated a good portion of their lives to a company, I do think that you should invest in your employees. I think that it makes them feel valued and not underappreciated. I know we've read articles about good employees that leave, not just because of the, the promotional aspect, but they just did not feel valued. I remember working, I used to work at Amos House and I was the culinary arts surf safe instructor there. And there was a chef who led the kitchen and he was doing an amazing job. And he'd been there for over 20 years, but he had invested so much of his life there in that kitchen, doing amazing work serving the homeless. So Johnson, um, Amos House decided to send him to Johnson Wells and get his associate's degree for free. And that's what I mean. You um, you have to be intentional um, and invest in the people that have invested so much in the work that you want them to do. People want to feel valued. They, you know, culinary arts is a hard business. You know, you can work 
10, 12, sometimes 15 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And people just want to feel valued. And I think it is extremely unfortunate where people just leave. You know, uh, after a while, your body just gets beat up. You know, working on the line, <laughs> you know, you it just beats you down. And I think one of the things that isn't often expressed, you know, something that you asked earlier about talking to the students, they also have to be aware of what they're going to sacrifice being in the culinary business. You know, while your friends are at their wives' birthdays, you probably are going to be working. You know, you're going to miss a lot of family time for the place in which you choose to work. So that's something that has to be discussed as well. So there are many chefs that they have supportive spouses um, and uh, people who support them in their journey. But I do think that that's a, a discussion that needs to be raised. And to your question about making employees feel valued, I do think that you have those who invested so many hours and years, you know they're dedicated, you know they're going to come to work. Why not help them grow in the business and learn the business that they've sacrificed so much of their life building? So that's just my perspective. Yeah, that's so true. So you're obviously an influence to your students and to others now, and as you have this effect on on your current students, who is an influence to you? Anybody you want to give a shout out to, maybe one, two, that as you are coming up through the ranks, whether that's professionally or personally that you would like to, you know, shout out to? I have a, a friend uh, who actually went to Johnson & Wales with me. His name is Dana Herbert, and Dana owns a a company called Desserts by Dana. And while we were going through culinary school, he he ended up getting his associates and bachelor's degree. But then he went back to get his associate's degree in bacon and pastry. And I, and I was and I asked him, Dana, why are you doing that? You know, in my opinion and in, in my, you know, in my thinking, it seemed that he was going backwards instead of forwards. But he had a vision that I could not see, even though we're friends. And as friends, you know, we try to give the best perspective to the people, our friends whom we love and care about. But I have to say that Dana, I have a great deal of respect for him because not only did he go back and he won various cooking competitions as a, a baking and pastry chef, but he was able to open his bakery and and he's extremely successful. So I think for Dana, he had a vision, he had a goal, and extremely sweet guy. And he was able to turn something into something big to not only employ people, but bring a certain level of expertise and love to his desserts that thousands of people enjoy today. So I respect Dana a lot for what he has done and accomplished as not just a chef, but a baking and pastry chef as well. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Anyone else? Uh, actually, probably another chef that I would probably say is, I believe her name is Mashama Bailey. And another chef would be Jerome Grant. You know, I think for chefs of color to turn 
a project into something great and pursue their careers that influence so many people, not, not just Black, but people of all generations and creeds and colors, that you look at them and you are amazed at the, the accomplishments that they bring to the world with their culinary knowledge and their food. I, 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 those two come to my mind. And I also think of, you know, Anthony Bourdain, unfortunately, he's not with us anymore, but I appreciate him because he really touched on all cultures and how they could bring food into the world and how that food represent represented all cultures. And he went everywhere around the world. So I really, I, I think for his influence, he impacted and touched a lot of people's lives in a very positive way in regards to food yes. and exploration in food as well. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He, he made an impact on a lot of people and still does. Yes. Well, that is just about all the time we have for this episode. I want to first thank you, Carol, for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us. We really appreciate your time, your insight, and your honesty. Thank you, Chef. I appreciate you inviting me on the show. It's, I had a good time speaking with you. I think it's a blessing to give out information to prospective students and current students and former students and maneuvering our world. But thank you. Oh, thank you. And I enjoyed our chat. Bye-bye now. Take care. Bye-bye. And a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know. And to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.